Thank you, Pastor Adrian. Uh, good morning, everybody. Well, thanks for making it here. Uh, is it still raining as you arrive? Uh, thanks for braving the heavy rain to make it to church this morning. Now, as we open this time, uh, allow me to just uh, open in a word of prayer. Shall we go to God and pray that he will speak to us? Father God, speak to us this morning, we pray, in your word. And help us to treasure up all these things and to ponder them in our hearts. May we be glorifying and praising you for all that we hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you this question in opening. What are some announcements that you hear on a daily basis? Announcements that you hear on a daily basis, perhaps at work or in school or in your workplace or on, on your daily commute. Perhaps you have been blasted with so many announcements that they have become white noise to you or even a source of irritation to you. Last year, some foreign letters to the, uh, forum letters to the Straits Times they suggested that we can cut down the number of announcements as well as the volume of the announcements on our MRT trains and stations. So one particular writer wrote this, the train operators should make announcements only when there's an urgent need. Without frequent announcements at MRT stations and in trains, passengers can enjoy a quieter ride and talk to their friends without interruption. Do you agree? No, some shaking, okay. Well, last month was the first time I took an SIA flight. And so my family and I were rather captivated. For the first time, we, we saw this in-flight safety video announcement. Right? We, were, we were rather captivated. See, SIA Singapore Airlines had decided that since we are all so flooded by announcements, they must do something truly extraordinary to demand our attention. So local attractions like Gardens by the Bay Boat Key, uh, River Safari, they all featured. For the oxygen mask instructions, they featured this man and his son in an alley at Haji Lane. Right? So put on your own mask first before you help your, your child. Right? And then the parts where we are taught to brace, brace in our seats. Right? This was filmed at Henderson Waves. The whole video was really quite stunning. Right? It was meant to captivate even the most disinterested flyer. Now, if you're like me, uh, you are, if you have been flying too much, then these safety announcements have become white noise to you. And if you're like me, perhaps Christmas has come and gone so many times that we have developed festive fatigue or Christmas carelessness. It's all become white noise to us. And perhaps the commercialization of Christmas, the festival, has caused some of us irritation. And so we dread it every time we step into a, a shopping mall and we hear that cringy Christmas carol again. Well, to those of us who have lost our excitement about Christmas and even our goodwill towards Christmas, how will God captivate our attention again for this greatest announcement ever about the birth of His Son? Luke chapters 1 to 2 contain three birth announcements. Right? The first one is by the angel Gabriel to get to Zechariah the priest, and it's about the birth of his son, John the Baptist. The second announcement, again by Gabriel, is to Mary about the birth of her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Today we are looking at the third birth announcement in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And here we will see that while some shepherds watched their flocks by night, not wash their socks by night, watched their flocks by night, God allowed them to hear the good news. Right? And so they heard the good news, they saw the good news, and they also shared the good news of the Saviour's birth. So in verses 8 to 14, the shepherds hear the good news of great joy for all people. Let's read together from verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The scene shifts from where uh, Jesus was born, the little, little town of Bethlehem, to this open field out in the same region of Judea, right near Bethlehem. Now, shepherds stay out at night in the fields with their flocks, in, usually in the warmer months of March to November, which actually possibly rules out the month of December as the time of Jesus' birth. Right? Literally, these shepherds were watching the watchers of the night. They were watching the watchers over, of the night over their flock. See, the language here is that the night is long and tedious but they were in for a surprise. How do people usually announce the birth of a child today? Right? In today's terms, quite often, it is announced through WhatsApp, right? So when you have a new child, you announce to your DG, to your family through WhatsApp, uh, to close friends and family. So the, the dad might text something like this. Baby Matthias was born to us today in Parkway East Hospital, weighing 2.59 kg. Right? I couldn't find the original message, but this is probably something that I sent in 2010. Right? Baby Matthias was born to us today in Parkway East Hospital, weighing 2.59 kg. And then it is shared with a wider audience through Facebook some time later. But those days, there was no social media, no WhatsApp. And so God announces the birth of his son through an angel. Now, two things here stand out from the first two announcements. First, we see that this messenger angel was not named. Right? He's likely not Gabriel, who had appeared to Zechariah and Mary in Luke chapter 1, but he's also called an angel of the Lord. And as the glory of the Lord shone around them, as the bright glory of God pierced the bleak gloom of the night, the shepherds responded in fear to these angels, just as Zechariah and Mary did. In fact, Luke used the word fear, twice in the Greek, to emphasize that they were filled with great fear, mega fear. And the second thing that stands out here was that this is the only birth announcement in Luke to someone who was not the parent. So let me ask you, if you have a newborn baby or a promotion at work, would you advertise it, would you announce it on the newspaper? No, right? Because it's expensive. And what does it have to do with strangers? Right? Just tell those who need to know. These shepherds really have nothing to do with this child. They are totally unrelated, and they are unlikely to be interested in this news. But read in verse 10 together. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child, a baby, wrapped in sweating cloths and lying in a manger. See, the, the angel wants to make it clear to them. This news is relevant to you. It's important to you and to all the people. So why announce this good news to shepherds who are unrelated to this child? Well, some people think that shepherds who are despised in society, they represent the lowest class, the sinners and the outcasts for whom Jesus came. And so perhaps this announcement came to them precisely because they are strangers. They represent the everyman, all the people for whom this good news came. The lowly and the humble, like those shepherds, will respond to the good news. The good news that God's salvation has come and is by grace alone. And as Stuart says, everything is free. We cannot pay anything to be saved. Fear not, the angel first addresses the fear of the shepherds. In place of their great fear, the angel brings them great joy in this announcement. The good news of the gospel drives away our human fears. The fear of never being right enough, never being acceptable to God. And it ushers in the great joy of God's acceptance of us. How does that, how does that work? Because Jesus Christ, the one who was born without sin, the only righteous one, makes us right with God. And so the message of this good news is this, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. See, unlike our birth announcements today, there's no mention even of the baby's name or who are his parents, no birth weight, no name of hospital. But the angel did at least announce the general location, right? The city of David, David's hometown the town of Bethlehem. And I think that is a hint at the baby's royal bloodline. But what makes it clearer still is this, that there are the three titles given to this baby. First, he's called Saviour. Right? This baby is called Saviour. And that's the only time that is used of Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. Whether it's in Matthew, Mark or Luke, Jesus is only called Saviour here. But it's often used in the Old Testament for God himself as Israel's deliverer or for the judges, the Old Testament judges who delivered Israel from their enemies. So saviour here means deliverer, rescuer. Earlier in chapter 1 verse 47, Mary had called God her saviour, which just to make a side point, means that Mary recognises her own fallenness and her need for forgiveness. In chapter 1, verse 69, Zechariah praised God for raising up a horn of salvation for his people. Chapter 1, verse 77, he says that his son, John the Baptist, will be a prophet to give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, this child born to Mary is also called Saviour. It's a name that's often given to God because this child will save God's people from their sins. Next, this child is also called Christ, which is the Greek for the Hebrew title Messiah or the Anointed One. This is the title given to the long-expected royal deliverer. This child born in the city of David 
heightens anticipation for the promised son of David in Old Testament prophecies, especially in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, which we read earlier. In 2 Samuel 7, God told David this. Let's read this together. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me. Oh, okay. So you see, according to this prophecy, Jesus is that long-awaited king in David's line. The third and last title given to Jesus is Lord. And this was already used by Elizabeth in chapter 1, verse 43, to address Mary's child. It will also become the most common title for Jesus in Luke's gospel. So Luke calls Jesus Lord, the Lord, many times. However, in the Greek Old Testament, as well as in chapter 1, verse 16, 46, 68, and 76, as you see there, the Lord usually refers to God himself. The title Lord is used for God. And so, Luke seems to be hinting to us that this child, Jesus, is more than simply a human being or even a human king. Jesus, the Messiah, has absolute authority. He has absolute sovereignty that belongs to God and God alone. Remember two weeks ago, we also looked at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, and we learned there that this Christ child has all these other titles as well. He's the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And all these titles taken together points to Jesus as the divine and promised saviour, who is Christ the Lord. The angel tells the shepherds that the, the sign of identity for this child will be this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, any of you ever tried to go to a, a nursery in a maternity ward for the first time and immediately point, pick out where your child is? Maybe by the, the crying. Pick out immediately, this is my child. Or this is maybe my niece or nephew. Right? Without looking at the name tag. Anyone can do that? No, right? Because all newborns look almost the same. It's not easy unless you're told exactly which cot the baby is lying in. Likewise, in a small town like Bethlehem, even on the, such a busy day like this, it should be quite easy to find a newborn baby lying in a manger, the feeding trough of livestock. And so that's the sign that the shepherds are given. And it's not quite the place that you expect to find a baby, much less a royal child. So this is the sign to confirm the angel's words, that it is true. Just as the angel was saying this in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with, him, with whom he is pleased. See, when God the Saviour comes to bless His people, to save His people, this is the result. First, glory to God in the highest, then peace to people on earth. Isn't that true? See, those who find true peace are really the same ones who humble themselves and give glory to God. 
they stop struggling in sinful pride against God, and Christ makes peace with God on their behalf by His death. God is pleased with them not because they are good, but because the only good man has made them good with God. Having heard this good news, the shepherd then hurries to see the good news. In verse 15, let's read this together. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. See, they went with haste, the words in yellow. There is great purposefulness and great urgency in the shepherd's actions. Theirs was no half-hearted, hesitant obedience, but a vibrant and vigorous faith. This whole account has been rather fast-paced and action-packed so far. From the sudden appearance of the angel at the birth, to the birth of Jesus, right, to this day, the, the Saviour was born, to the sudden company of angels, we get a sense of excitement everywhere. Heaven, earth, they're all excited by the birth of this Saviour, Christ the Lord. And like the lowly, the lowly shepherds, this royal child was found in a lowly vessel, a feeding trough instead of a royal palace. What is more surprising and scandalous here is this, that the Son of God, who existed from eternity past and shared in God's divine glory, was found in a lowly vessel, a frail human baby. In recent months, my son has been fascinated by ants, right? So he's been following this YouTube channel by an American Filipino called Ants of Canada. And so he, he, he watches it almost every day. He learns about different species of ants, which, what are queen ants, uh, soldier ants, major and minor worker ants, and things like that that I totally don't know anything about. We even brought him to the Singapore Ants Exhibition at East Coast Road to visit live ant colonies. Right, so at home, he would trace the roots of ants on the floor to find out what they're up to. And so I joked with him. Since you are so curious about ants, why not become one of this, right? Become one of them and talk to them. See, the wonder of Christmas is this, that the infinite God whom the universe could not contain and who is unbound by days and years did just that. He chose to confine himself to a specific time and space. And that is the mystery of the incarnation. God in human form, creator in creaturely likeness, not as a powerful king, but as a powerless baby who would later die a shameful, humiliating death. As Paul says in Philippians 2, and uh, Huyen read together uh, for us yesterday, earlier, let's read this together in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is what happened on Christmas. God became man, and the Creator became a servant and died for us. 
Having seen the good news of the divine Saviour, Christ the Lord, embodied in this human baby, the shepherds couldn't help but make known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds couldn't keep this exciting good news to themselves. They had to make it known. And so now the shepherds would now share the good news. The shepherds became messengers themselves of this good news that they heard from the angels to the people in Bethlehem. And after they had shared the good news with those who were present, they couldn't stop sharing it even as they left. Right? And so in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had sinned and heard and sinned as it had been told them. Perhaps these lowly shepherds were so overwhelmed by their immense privilege that they were the first ones to hear the good news of the birth of this Saviour. And they couldn't stop glorifying and praising God for what they had heard from the angel and what they had seen with their own eyes. This means that they were thanking God and telling others of what God has done. Isn't it often so true that those who receive much grace from God, they are often the ones who respond with much zeal? So the most thankful believers I've ever met in my life, they are those I meet in prison. Having come to know and experience God's grace in His Son, they loudly and shamelessly declare His praises. No inhibitation. There's no concern that others will look at them and say that they are foolish. Jesus would also say later in Luke 7, verse 47, He would say this of the sinful woman who anointed His feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Many of us who once were filled with excitement at the good news, especially in the early years of our salvation, we may now find ourselves jaded and disillusioned because we simply have forgotten how much we've been forgiven by Jesus. Is that true for you today? Is it true for me? Perhaps the prisoner who once sung with gusto about Christ has lost his song after getting out into the harsh world. The forgiven sinner who once loved the Lord with all her heart has turned aside to love the alluring world. The BB boy or GB girl who once fervently served the Saviour has fallen aside to serve money rather than God. Now, I remember in my younger days, I'm still young, but in my younger days, I would walk up and down the HDB flat, the HDB block, right, and I would drop gospel tracks in my neighbors' homes without them seeing, like, just you know, push it inside. See, nobody asked me to do it. Nobody knew that I did it. It was just my own grateful response to God, graciously rescuing me from my sins. But now, today, I find it hard to muster up courage and enthusiasm to share Jesus with someone I meet, even though now I'm actually being paid to do this. <laughs> These words in the song Asleep in the Light by Keith Green, the late Keith Green, it rebukes me each time I hear it in my car. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight, causes a sleep in the light. How can you be so dead 
when you've been so well fed. Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. And this is a rebuke to me every time I hear, and don't you see that there's such need in the world? And why is it that we are not sharing this good news? Perhaps you and I need a strong reminder this Christmas just, that just like Mary and Zechariah and just like the shepherds, we need Christ the Lord to be our Saviour, precisely because we are wretched sinners. And so like the shepherds, let's hear the good news and let's take time to turn aside to see this good news once again. Take a good look at the incarnate Christ and ponder, why did our Creator God take on the form of a created being? Why did the powerful king bear the image of a powerless infant? And it's because of his great love for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 is one of my favorite passages, Romans 5 verses 6 to 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So having known this great love of God, what should we do with the good news? I notice that there are three different responses to this good news in verses 17 to 18. And we can sum this up with A, B, and C. Okay, so look at the verses. A is for amazement and astonishment, but no action. The audience who heard the shepherd's accounts of the angel's announcement about th that Jesus was born, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were amazed, truly. They were astonished, but that's about it. They took no further action to seek out more about whether this was true. Perhaps some have been disillusioned by false messiahs who have been discredited in the past. Some could be in disbelief over this baby born to a teenage girl, placed in a manger in backward Bethlehem. How can he be the messiah? Some just couldn't be bothered to investigate any further. It's the same for some of us here, right? We are here because we have been initially amazed by the gospel story. We have been astonished by the changed lives of our family and friends who invited us. But can I beseech you, don't stop at amazement and astonishment. Take action. Take action by asking God and asking someone to share with you more about Jesus. Perhaps take up a course to learn more about Christianity. And our Discovering Christianity class starts in January next year just for newcomers in March. So this is advertisement. Meanwhile, you can actually take up the Bible, pick up the Bible for yourself, and read the Gospels for yourself, or ask a Christian friend to read it along with you. So this is a possible response. B, response B, is for belief that leads to transformed behavior. The shepherds are a good example of this. They heard the good news, and they immediately took action by seeking out the baby Jesus to see the good news for themselves. And when they had sinned, they had hurt and sinned, changed their lives. They became different people altogether. They couldn't stop sharing about this baby they saw and what God had told them about him. Even after the angels left them and after they left Bethlehem, 
they couldn't help sharing. Frederick Denker, a Bible scholar, suggests this. The depth of spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. See, at the point of our salvation, we could be all excited, but our Christian walk will lengthen from weeks to months, from months to years. And as the greatness of, of God's grace in our salvation seems a bit less real, the awareness of the depth of our sins seems more distant. Will we continue to remain faithful to the Lord? Will we stay fervent to serve His mission by proclaiming the good news? Response C. C is for contemplation and consideration for change. And this is the response of Mary. Mary who treasured up all these things that the shepherd said, pondering them in her heart. Later in the Gospels, we will see that it seems like over time, Mary started to doubt that her child, Jesus, was really the Messiah. For example, in Mark 3.21, Jesus' family, which perhaps includes Mary, thought that he was crazy, there was something wrong in the head. But no matter what Mary believed or did not believe about Jesus after that first Christmas, what we know is that by the end of Jesus' life, Mary would be there at the cross on Good Friday by her Saviour's side. She will be among those who went to embalm Jesus' body on Easter Sunday. Because Mary didn't simply disregard what she heard and saw, but she contemplated all this. Her very life was changed by the child she bore. As Simeon told Mary in Luke 2.34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary herself was affected by Jesus. Wherever you may be in your faith journey, I pray that you will not choose response A. Right? Response A is simply to be amazed and astonished, but take no action. See, in this case, A is not the better grade, huh? so don't waste aim for A. B and C are better. If you are ready, I pray that the Spirit will bring you to believe this Christmas and that your faith will lead to changed behavior. But if you are still contemplating, then may I ask you to consider taking up a course to learn more and may your consideration lead you, guide you to change. Earlier I told you about the forum letters who wrote in, right? They wrote in to ask to cut down on the MRT train and station announcements. Let me share with you another train story. This story I read about the London Tube, the under, underground. In one particular station called Embankment on the Northern Line in London, the announcement for, uh, for the passengers to mine the gap is slightly different from elsewhere. See, what happened was in 2016, a woman burst into tears at Embankment Station. She begged the staff to tell her where the voice had gone. She was referring to the voice who makes the Mind the Gap announcement. It was recorded by a, a man called Oswald Lawrence. And Oswald was the late husband of this woman, Dr. Margaret McCollum. Ever since Oswald died seven years ago, Margaret has been coming to embankment just to hear his voice. 
Oswald's death had left a hole in Margaret's heart, according to this article. But one thing had helped. Every day on her way, on her way to work, she got to hear his voice. Sometimes when it hurts too much, she explained, she would just sit on the platform at an embankment and listen to the announcements for a bit longer. For five years, this had become her routine. She knew he wasn't really there, but his voice, the memory of him, was. Sadly, due to digitalization, the old announcements were being progressively replaced, and she couldn't hear the voice of her husband anymore. The staff were touched by her story, and so through hard effort, they managed to restore Oswald's voice announcement for the Mind the Gap, uh, the, the, the recording. It was a stock from old archives and they presented it to her as on a CD. And this same recording still plays at an embankment station today. For many of us, the change of an announcement announcer may mean nothing. It's just another announcement. It's white noise. But for someone who was loved by the announcer, who loves him in return, it means everything. It is captivating and it demands all our attention. So this Christmas, I pray that none of us would remain indifferent to the birth announcement of Jesus because this announcement is by the one who loved us and gave himself for us. May the announcement of this good news captivate our hearts so that we may hear and see and share this good news of great joy to all the people. Let's go to God in prayer. The voice of the angel says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Thank you, O Heavenly Father, for sending us your Son Jesus, sending him into the world as a man to make peace with unworthy sinners through his death. Your great love for us is shown in the giving of your Son for us. Therefore, help us to hear and to see this good news afresh, so that faith may rise up and thanksgiving well up in our hearts, so that we will see with the heavenly host glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In Jesus' wondrous and, and glorious name, we pray this. Amen.